I'm reading from the translation called The Message. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Eugene Peterson passed away. He was one of my, one of my favorite authors, uh, tremendous, um, tremendous man, and, um, and kind of in his honor, I'm using the message this morning. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Once upon a time, it was back in the days when the judges led Israel, there was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem in Judah left home to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. His sons were Malan and Kilian, all Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They all went to the country of Moab and settled there. Elimelech died, and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Oprah. Not really. I was just seeing if y'all were listening. Are you paying attention? Not Oprah, Orpha. The name of the first was Orpha, the second Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years. But then the two brothers, Malan and Kilian, died. Now the woman was left without either her young men or her husband. One day she got herself together, she and her two daughters-in-law, to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. She had heard that God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. And so she started out from the place she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law with her, on the road back to the land of Judah. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, Go back. Go home and live with your mothers, and may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband. She kissed them and cried openly. They said, no, we're going on with you to your people. But Naomi was firm. Go back, dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Do you suppose I still have sons in my womb who can become your future husbands? Go back, dear daughters. On your way, please. I'm too old to get a husband. Why, even if I said there's still hope and this very night got a man and had sons, can you imagine being satisfied to wait until they're grown? Would you wait that long to get married again? No. Dear daughters, this is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter for me than for you. God has dealt me a hard blow. And they cried openly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and God. Go with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in. And so the two of them traveled on to Bethlehem, together to Bethlehem. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you've ever been in this situation. You had these grand plans of how things were going to go, and then it just didn't turn out like that at all. Uh, you had that job that you thought was going to be a dream job, and then you got into it, and you found that the dream was a nightmare. Uh, or you, you married that person, and you thought it's going to be days of wine and roses. 
and it turned out to be days of 2% milk and poison ivy. Or you thought, boy, wouldn't it be great for us to have a family? Wouldn't, wouldn't having kids be great? But it'll be just like babysitting when I used to babysit my little nieces. And then you have kids and you find that it's just a lot of pain, you know, heartbreak. Or maybe you thought it would be so cool to be at this really nice church and get to be in the office of the senior pastor and then... Well, something like this happens. Yes, that was not staged at all. It really happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, the drains backed up upstairs during Ladle of Love, you know, and then the waterfall came down in my office. And uh, I will say how nice it is to work with such compassionate and thoughtful colleagues uh, that uh, find the humor in something that's not quite that humorous. And um, no, I will say I, I am thankful that everything is, is back ship shape but um, sometimes life is like that isn't it um, I was talking with uh, one of our church members the other day John Ryle some of you may know John and if you know him or if you don't you may or may not know that he is in the process the recovery process of having had a, a liver transplant and it's been a long and hard ordeal for him and Mary let's please remember to keep praying for them but as I talked with him, he told me something that his doctor at Mayo Clinic told him. As he was beginning this journey of, of going through all of the things you have to go through to be a transplant recipient, his doctor at Mayo said this, this is not going to be a pain-free journey. And, well, that proved to be true. It continues to hold to be true for John. But those words just got stuck in my head. This is not going to be a pain-free journey. And so much so that I was looking at the journey that Ruth and Naomi were making, the journey that they had to make to and from, and how perfect that phrase is. And I called John back, and I said, John, I'm preaching out of the book of Ruth, and, and I can't think of anything more perfect than to use those words that your doctor used to you. This is not a pain-free journey. Do you mind if I use those words? And he said, no, I'll be glad for you to use those words. I changed them around a little bit. You have an outline in your, in your newsletter if you're an outline-following person uh, because the first one is this. I changed it to, to this. I said, life is not a pain-free journey. It's just not. Pain is a part of it. And sometimes that pain comes from different places. Sometimes it just comes from the fact that we live in a fallen world. Okay? People get old and, and sometimes they, they get sick or injured or sometimes they die young. And sometimes there are natural disasters. And It's sort of like that Allstate commercial. You know the guy with the black suit that's got stitches in his head? His name is Mayhem. And he, he, he just is kind of a representative of all the, the crazy bad things that happen. When I saw that video for the first time, I expected to see Mayhem standing over in the corner, but it was just Andy and Sheila 
Um, maybe you are mayhem. <laughs> um, sometimes pain comes from somebody else's bad decision or somebody else's evil intent. And I was reminded of that again, and I know you were too, is we watched in horror at what happened at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh this last week, um, where somebody with evil intent in their heart came into a group of worshipers and their lives are changed forever. This is not a pain-free journey. Sometimes pain comes, though, uh, not from somebody else's bad decision, but from our own disobedience and our own unbelief. And this is the case in their story for today. This is the case in the story of Ruth. This is, you see, a very dark, dark time in the history of Israel. I think one of the most descriptive verses about this time in Israel's history could be found in the book that comes right before Ruth, the book of Judges. Judges 17.6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Think about that. All the people just did what was right in their own eyes. And what does that get you? Well, here's what it got them. It got them uh, division. It got them civil war. It got them idolatry. It got pain and heartache. And it was a terrible time in their history. And sometimes in the Old Testament, we see that God gets his people's attention through something like a famine. And that's what happened in Ruth chapter 1. It says there was a famine in the land, but there was a reason behind the famine. And it was their own disobedience and their own unbelief. Ironically, Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. But there was no bread in the house of bread. It was a house of pain. Life is not a pain-free journey. So what are we going to do with that pain? Uh, We have some different choices. Sometimes we just kind of grin and bear it, you know. We just grin and bear it. and, And that... That's okay, except that many times when you grin and bear it, we end up bitter inside. A friend of mine named Sherry Harris always says this, bitterness is like kudzu to the soul. It chokes out everything good. So let's not be bitter. Let's not just grin and bear it. Sometimes, though, we try to run from the pain. And that's what Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons did. They tried to run away from it. But the problem with that is when you run away from your pain, you never learn the lessons that God wants to teach you in the midst of the pain. I saw something recently I thought was pretty cool saying it said pain is the best teacher, but no one wants to go to his class. And that's true. We don't. But if we always run away from the pain, we never can get a chance to learn the lesson. And, you know, we can. It is possible to learn from our pain. It is possible for our trials to be our teachers. So today, I want us to let the trials be the teacher, to let the trials of Ruth and Naomi teach us what God wants us to hear. And here's the lesson. I know it's going to sound simple, but here it is. In the midst of darkness, the light shines. And you say, that's, just, that's the most preachery sounding thing you've ever said, Pastor Sam, but it's true. It's deep, it's profound, and it's true. And we need to hear it over and over again because this is God's way. This is how God has always been from the day of creation. When darkness 
was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. We hear it over and over again in the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah when he, he prophesied about the coming of the Messiah that in those the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. And then we know that in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, when the word was made flesh and Jesus came and lived among us, we read in John chapter 1, in him was life and the life was the light of all people. In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. In the midst of darkness, the light shines. Always. Sometimes you have to look for it, don't you? Um, I grew up, maybe some of you did, watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Nod your head if you grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. If you have no clue who that is, ask somebody about my age and they can tell you about Mr. Rogers. But when Mr. Rogers was a boy, I read that uh, he, he saw something on the evening news that really, really upset him. He was crying. He was very upset about what he saw on the news. And his mother, being the wise person that she was, told him this. Son, when you see something bad, always look for the helpers. You'll always find people that are helping. It doesn't take the bad away. But sometimes it reminds you that in the darkness, there's a light that shines if you look for it. I try to remember that whenever I hear of a disaster or a shooting or something like that. To look for the light. To look for the light. Today we remember all the saints and we remember that they were a light to us, don't we? There's always light if you look for it. In the story that we read from Ruth chapter 1, today we see the darkness. We see Elimelech and Naomi and their sons in the darkness of famine. And they move to a foreign country during this darkness of famine. But in the middle of their darkness and the move to the foreign land, they find a bright shining a light named Ruth. And then we have the, the darkness of, of death and destitution that that Ruth and Naomi moved back to Bethlehem. And, and in the darkness of being destitute widows with nothing, they meet a bright and shining light named Boaz. And we'll talk more about Ruth and Boaz next week in part two. You might be thinking, well, you know, that's, that's Old Testament stuff. And I'm struggling right here and right now. I, I'm in the middle of my dark night right now. What do you got for me? And I want to tell you, I hear you, but more importantly, God hears you. Ron and Rachel are some clergy friends of mine. They're a clergy couple, as a matter of fact. And there are special challenges, of course, with being a clergy. But imagine being a clergy couple and the husband has a church over here and wife's got a church over here. All kinds of things that have to be juggled around being a clergy couple. But they had some really, really difficult times recently. Ron has had some health problems, some very serious health problems, to the point that not long ago, Ron had to be on dial dialysis three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, and the first time he went to dialysis, he went to this 
strange place in Bessemer that he'd never been before, and, and it was in a room with people that he didn't know he, and nurses that he'd never met and all these machines, and he was frightened and uh, a, a little bit uncertain about how it was going to go, but he made it through his first week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then that Sunday, he went to church where his wife preaches, and he was listening to that old familiar uh, liturgy for Holy Communion, and then when Rachel lifted the cup, she said these words, she said, this is a vessel of grace because it contains the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that saves us. And Ron couldn't get that out of his mind. The next morning when he got up to go to dialysis, he had an idea. And so he took his little bottle of anointing oil and put it in his pocket and took it with him to dialysis. And he went into that room and he went up to the machine and he took that anointing oil and he anointed that dialysis machine. And he said, this is also a vessel of grace because it contains the blood that's going to keep me alive. And then he anointed his own head with oil, and he sat down in the chair and started into the process. And his nurse came up to him and put her hands on her hips and said, what in the world are you doing? And so he explained that his dialysis machine was a vessel of grace because it contained the blood that was going to keep him alive. And he and. After he explained to her why he did what he did, she had tears in her eyes and she said, will you anoint me too and say a prayer with me because I need a blessing today. And so he did. Well, that was on Monday. And when he went back on Wednesday, everybody in the room wanted him to anoint their dialysis machine and to anoint them and pray over them. And right there in Bessemer, in the hospital room where they do dialysis in the darkness of a common serious disease a light shined a light shined today we're going to come to the table and we are going to remember together that against the dark backdrop of Calvary our redemption was won. We're going to remember that against the darkness of the crucifixion, the bright light of resurrection shines. We're going to remember that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Let's pray. God, how thankful we are that our trials can be our teachers. And one of the lessons that we learn is that however dark it seems, that the light will shine and that the darkness will not overwhelm it. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Join me, please, in turning to page 12 in your hymnal.
Christ our Lord invites us to his table, all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. the good news Christ died for us while we were yet sinners that proves God's love toward us in the name of Jesus Christ you are forgiven now we continue in the middle of page 13 with the great thanksgiving the Lord be with you lift up your hearts Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take. Eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine and make them be for us, the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Body of Christ, broken for you. blood of Christ shed for you this is a vessel of grace 
I want to say a couple of word of words of instruction as we come to the table today. And the first is this. This is the Lord's table. We have open communion. All who are present are welcome at the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. All you have to do is have a heart that's hungry for God. So you all are welcome at the Lord's table. And we also want to remind you that it's our custom to come and receive communion kneeling. And if you are unable to kneel, then come and just stand and don't feel self-conscious about that at, at, at all. If your knees or your hips or your back prevent you from kneeling, just come and stand. If you can't come and stand at all and you want to be served at your seat, we'll make that option available to you too. It's also our custom to receive a, an offering on the altar rail if if you are able to and God leads you to, if you want to leave an offering on the altar rail, everything that's left on the altar rail at communion offering goes to our local missions. We have people who come by the church and need help all the time, and that's what we use that for, to just give as the Lord leads you. Um, I want to invite those who are assisting us serving today and uh, the ushers, if they will come at this time. rise and go in peace and may the peace of Christ go with you. Amen. Rise and go in peace, and may the peace of Christ go with you. Amen.
rise and go in peace. And may the peace of Christ go with you. rise and go in peace and may the peace of Christ go with you. Amen. now rise and go in peace and may the peace of Christ go with you. Amen.
there anyone who needs to be served at their seat?